I'm a little bit curious. Uh, how many of you uh, growing up ever did something called a, a sword drill? Okay, maybe about a, a third of the people in here. I, I didn't grow up doing them, but uh, and for those of you who, who don't know, a sword drill is uh, where, where they'd kind of line you up, they'd give you a Bible, and then they'd call out a verse, and you'd have to turn to it real quickly. Uh, and, and for today's message, those of you who have done sword drills are going to have a, a great advantage over the rest of us uh, because we are, are, are going to be uh, moving pretty fast. We're, we're, we're doing this series. Uh, Fundamentals of the Faith, God's plan for everything. Uh, we've done eight weeks or so, I think, maybe nine weeks, uh, and uh, we haven't made it out of Genesis 3. Uh, so if we're planning to cover the whole Bible, we've, we've got to start moving a little bit faster. Um, and as we start moving faster, one of the things that's going to happen is uh, there are important things that we, we're we going to have to skip over for the sake of expediency. And then there are also uh, things that are probably a lot deeper a lot more nuanced uh, than we can really get into them. But the goal of this is to give us a broad overview of what God has been doing, is doing, and will do in the future. We've uh, kind of divided the, this study up into five phases just to give us a little bit of a handle on things. We have already covered creation, fall, and now we're getting into redemption then proclamation, and finally restoration. Um, so as we begin to get into restoration, we talked a little bit, we hinted a little bit at uh, this last week when we talked about the hope that exists that even in the midst of the fall. And now we're, we're going to get into what I like to call the long, slow preparation of mankind for its Redeemer. And we, we had a hint of the Redeemer last week where it talked about in the curse of the serpent, they said there's going to be enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. Uh, you will bruise his heel and he will crush your head. This is a promise that God will be the one who ultimately deals with, the one who ultimately eradicates all evil. As we go forward, what we're going to see is uh, that these prophecies are going to be focused and clarified as we move forward. And so today we're, we're going to be looking at uh, God's promises to Abraham and the faith of Abraham. And as we go into this, one of the things that's important is to get our terms right. And the first term we need to understand is, what is faith? Uh, unfortunately, uh, we, we've already actually addressed this in, in this service. If you're, if you're paying attention to uh, what we read corporately, we, we mentioned it. Hebrews 11.1 1 gives us a great definition of faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hope, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And I want, to, I want to take a little minute just to point something out to you, uh, and, and that's this. We, we usually think of, of the great three Christian virtues as faith, hope, and love, right? And, and when we think of these, I know I, I used to think of this in, in, until it was pointed out to me, uh, what do you think of as coming first? Y'all can answer. What do you think of as coming first? Love? Uh, any other thoughts? 
I see, I had always thought that uh, faith comes first, but one of the things we have here is faith is the assurance of things hoped for. We've got to have a hope before we put our faith in that hope. Now, look, I I may hope that I win the lottery. Uh, I don't have enough faith to buy a ticket, though. Uh, I I, I don't invest in that hope. I'm I'm not banking on that hope. I, I have no faith that that hope will come true. But one of the things that that reminds me of it, how important it is to teach people the promises of God in order that we can know, hey, what is it we're actually hoping for? What is it we're actually depending upon God for? What are we actually investing our faith in? So that, that gives us a, a little bit of a picture of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And we're going to be looking at faith, particularly Abraham's faith, in light of the promises of God. Now, one of the first places we're going to go get your sword drills ready, uh, we're going to be going to Joshua 24, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 3. Joshua is an odd place to start out with, uh, to talk about Abraham. But uh, look with me at Joshua 24. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 2 and 3. Joshua chapter 24, and I'm going to warn y'all, if you take notes, this is a good message to take notes on, uh, I, since we're covering so much material, and we're going to be looking at so many verses, uh, sometimes I might not wait for everybody to catch up, you might get there ahead of me, if you get there after me, I'm sorry, I might just leave you in the dust as we go forward. Joshua 24, uh, actually let's start in verse 1 as well. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and some of the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. And I gave him Isaac. Now there's a little phrase there I want us, uh, I want us to hone in on and, and focus on just for a second. It says that Abraham and his fathers, they served other gods. That's, that's something we don't think of, but as Abraham was, was living in Ur, as he, he was living in this foreign land far away from the land of promise, uh, he was an idolater in a family of idolaters. Now one of the reasons I, I want to bring that up is so that we know and affirm that God's promises, that the good that God shows to Abraham, that the blessings he give him, gives him are not due to Abraham being a really great guy. Now later down, 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 on down the road, he, he does some amazing acts of faith, but the promises of God and the blessing of God come before that. And is an act of God on Abraham's behalf. It is a gracious thing. There's nothing in Abraham at this point that deserves or merits the good blessing of God. He calls him 
out of his home, away from his family, uh, in order to bless him. Let's look at that blessing now. So, uh, flip back to Genesis 12. We're going to be reading verses uh, uh, 1 through 3. Genesis 12, looking at verses 1 through 3. Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, by the way, uh, I'll I'll mention this here, in uh, Genesis 17, Abram has a name changed to Abraham. Uh, We're going to be jumping all around in in Genesis, uh, and rather than me trying to switch and remember where we are and switch between Abram and Abraham, I'm going to just call him Abraham the whole time, all right? Uh, Except when I'm reading, and then I'll I'll do whatever's in in the text. Uh, Just I I know some people are nitpicky, and I might get picked on for that later, but just to let you know, I'm calling him Abraham. Uh, I get confused enough as it is already. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whom who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We have here God calling Abraham out of his home, away from his family, and he, God does this in order to bless Abraham and also to bless the whole world through him. This is an idolater living in a foreign land, and God in his grace sovereignly chooses him to bless him and to bless the world through him. Uh, as we look at the promises throughout Genesis, one of the th- reasons why Abraham is, is such a hard topic and even just covering the promises to Abraham is a difficult topic is uh, as you read through, uh, in, you know, Genesis 12, uh, you know, kind of through, uh, you know, almost to I think 25 and 26, God keeps showing up and promising things to Abraham and God keeps showing up and promising things to Abraham and uh, e- each time they're, they're, di- they're, sometimes they're different elements, sometimes they're the same elements emphasized in a different way. Uh, so part of the reason it's, it's hard to cover, cover all this is God shows up so many times and keeps blessing and blessing and blessing and promising and promising and promising these things to Abraham. Uh, so in order to kind of condense it down for our uh, fly-through methodology, I, I want to focus in on a couple of the things that occur in God's interaction with Abraham. Uh, first of all, God promises a people and a place. God promises a people and a place uh, to Abraham. Uh, people are a nation, uh, numerous offspring that come from Abraham. And then God promises that there will be a place for that that, that people, those uh, uh, n- numerous offspring to occur. Uh, by, and, and by the way, Oh, one of the, the words that's used, we talked about this previously as we were looking at, at uh, the hope given to Adam and Eve and the odd language of the seed of the woman. The offspring is, is the word seed here, uh, if your translations have it. Now, we don't usually use the word, like, I've got two boys, I don't say, these are my seed, you know, that, that's kind of weird. So the, the modern translators changed it to, you know, offspring, because we think, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's what they're talking about. But kind of in the ancient thinking, uh, it kind of seed and offspring are synonymous. 
and the seed of the woman is, is uh, the reason why I point this out is there's a thread in, in the promise language revolving around this seed. There's this seed of the woman, which was a very unusual way to talk about uh, reproduction in the ancient world, and is, is the man who provided the seed. It was the woman who's the fertile ground. And then in this, it talks about uh, there's going to be a seed of Abraham. So I told you, one of the things we have in this is a focusing and a clarifying of the promises that are already given. There's a promise that there's going to be a seed of the woman who's going to destroy Satan and the representatives of evil. Here to Abraham, there's this promise, through you and your offspring is going to come something that's going to bless the whole world. There's this focusing and clarifying that occurs as we go forward. So God promises a people and a place. Um, this occurs a lot of places, uh, it, not only in, in, in chapter 12, we also see it in Genesis 5.5. Genesis 5.5 says, And he brought him outside, that is God brought Abraham outside, and said, Look heavenward and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Okay, promises people. Uh, 13.6, he says, did I mess that up? 13.16, dyslexia taken over. 13.16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that no one can, uh, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. We see later on in Genesis 18.18, another promise. Genesis 18.18 says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. That's God talking to himself about Abraham. What do all those things say? It says, hey, from Abraham, there's going to be a lot of offspring. They're going to be like the stars in the sky. They're going to be like the sand on the sea. He's going to be a great nation. Promises of multiplying to Abraham his offspring, that he will have this great inheritance, this great wealth of offspring. Uh, we, we also see uh, promises uh, of land that occur. Uh, Genesis thirteen fourteen. If you back up there, it says, "Man, I'm going back and forth so much. I'm like I'm in the wrong chapter." Thirteen fourteen. Thirteen fourteen said, "The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward.'" For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So he's promised a lot of people. He's promised to give them land. Genesis fifteen eighteen also gives promises of land. It says, On that day the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. 
I went to four years of Bible college and four years of seminary to be able to pronounce those names. Uh, so I hope you appreciate it. But actually, they're probably wrong uh, in, the, in, the, in my pronunciation. But, but anyways, here we have a promise of land. Guess what? There are people already in this land that God's promising. It's not like uh, they're coming and it's an open field. It's a, it's a wide open land. God is making a promise that Abraham and his descendants are going to inherit a land that people already exist in. So there's some challenges to be sure. But God is promising, and it is a promise based on His grace, His goodness to Abraham. Abraham didn't do anything to earn uh, this uh, great people. Abraham didn't do anything to earn this land that God is offering him in in these promises yet. Uh, But it's due to God's gracious nature that he chooses Abraham out of all the people in the world to bless him and then to use him as a blessing. We'll get to that part later. Now, so the first thing we see is God promises a people in a place. Now, I want to look at Abraham's response for a little bit here. Uh, There's a promise. God's going to make Abraham a great nation. Um, There's a promise. He's going to give him all all this land. Uh, But... What's the difficulty Abraham's facing in the midst of this? He has no children, exactly. I'm going to be a great nation. I'm going to have all these descendants. But do you know what? He, he doesn't have any kids. On top of that, he, he's old at this point. And, and his wife, although he was probably wise enough not to say it so bluntly, she's also old. And they're, they're thinking, hey, the, the clock's running down here. It's getting kind of late, late in the game. I have no offspring. By the way, he's also a foreigner in a foreign land. All those people we listed are still living in the land. He doesn't own anything in the land. And um, you, you can kind of feel this uh, tension. Uh, you know, in Genesis 12, there's the, the, the initial promise to Abraham. In, in Genesis uh, 15... Um, uh, let's start in verse 1. Abraham kind of brings this up to God. After these things, the word of God came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O oh Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household uh, will be my heir. That is, that is a, a member of, of his, uh, a slave in his household would be his heir. And behold, the uh, so Abraham brings this up and says, "Look, I don't, I don't have a child. Right now, the person who's set to inherit everything I have is uh, somebody who is a servant in my household." And behold, the Lord, picking back up in verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, And he believed the Lord, and he, that is God, Counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham, when he hears this assurance of the Lord, believes him. 
We said at the beginning, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He doesn't have any offspring yet. doesn't have a foot of land that he owns. But what? He believes in the promises of God. He believes in the character of God. He believes that what God has said is true and that God is trustworthy and therefore worthy to follow in faith. By the way, we, we see a contrast here, don't we, with what we talked about in Adam and Eve. What do they do? They don't trust the character of God. They don't believe that God has their best interest in mind and therefore don't act in faith. Disregard the word of the Lord. But it says he believes God, and then this uh, interesting phrase, this this phrase, uh, so much hangs on this phrase, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God, God, in a way, credits faith as righteousness. And this is uh, something that Paul brings up in, in Romans 4. Romans 4, I hope you're not having uh, Bible whiplash as, as we move about all, all these places. But there's, as I said, there's so much that's built on this. There's so much interwoven in this. There's so much that is has its foundation in this. I, I want you to kind of see some of the connections as they appear. Romans 4, 1 through 8. Paul says this, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham? our forefather according to the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. God gives righteousness in exchange for faith. Righteousness is right relationship with God. That is, when somebody puts their faith in God, one of the things that happens is God treats them as if they had not sinned. And as if they had been perfectly obedient to God and His law. We see that in, in a couple of verses afterwards in, in the same passage when David says, uh, in, when Paul quotes David who says in the Psalms, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. And one of the things we, we had in Genesis that, that Paul picks up on here in Romans is this idea that God has the ability to trade out our faith and substitute it for righteousness. One of the things they didn't know in the Old Testament is how can God do this? I mean, faith isn't the same as not sinning. We see Abraham sin quite a lot. He keeps trying to, you know, he's, he's worried about his wife being too attractive and people killing him to get to her, so he keeps lying about who he is and who she is later on. So he's not a sinless guy, he keeps on sinning. And, and so we, we, we think, how can God treat him as righteous if he doesn't live a sinless life? And in the Old Testament they knew this, but they didn't know why. But we have an advantage over them, don't we? We know that one has come who has taken our iniquity upon himself. 
and whose righteousness is credited to our account when we believe in Him, the man Jesus Christ. You begin to see why Abraham serves as a forefather of the faith. He's one of the ones in which we see God's blessing and grace pour out, and we see that it is by faith that God treats Abraham as righteous. Um, I'm going to look real quick at at, at another verse that we've uh, already uh, looked at. Uh, Y'all were probably wondering why we were reading uh, half of Hebrews 11, but uh, Hebrews 11 focuses on faith. Uh, If you ever want to learn more about faith, uh, look at Hebrews 11. Look at uh, Romans 4. Those are fabulous chapters to go to when you're looking at these topics. But Hebrews 11.6 just says this little line, And without faith it is impossible to please Him, that is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Every act of faith we have is built on that. That we believe God exists and He rewards those who seek Him. Every time we sin, it's because of a failure to believe that. We either don't believe God exists, that is, um, we are functionally atheists, or we don't believe that God rewards those who seek after him. Therefore, I've got to pursue my own good. I've got to take care of me. God's not going to. I'm going to pursue what I think is right, what I think is enjoyable, what I think is glorious. So much hinges on that. By the way, there was a a period of time when I uh, got out of seminary. Uh, I was working in a... um, Warehouse off of airways that was unair conditioned. I was, I was kind of trying to figure out what the Lord was doing with me at the time. I said, Lord, what, what am I doing here? Um, you know, why'd you have me take all that Greek and Hebrew? Spanish would have been a lot more useful here. Um, and, and, and as I was working in that uh, warehouse, there were a couple of people I became friends with and, and would talk with, and uh, I had conversations with this one guy who was real interesting, and uh, he knew I liked literature, he liked literature, so we would, we would talk about about that a little bit, and uh, as we were talking, he said, "He said, I bet you think I'm an atheist, don't you?" I said, "Well, I don't know what you are. You haven't, you haven't told me." He said, "Well, uh, you know, um, I actually uh, believe God exists." And I said, "Well, uh, let me ask you this: What difference does the fact that God exists make in your life? Uh, would you live it any different if you uh, than if you didn't believe God exists?" He said, "No, I, I think I'd probably live the same." And I said, "Well, then you're functionally an atheist." He came up to me later that day and said, uh, you know, you ruined my day <laughs> by telling me that I was a, a functional atheist. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the Lord did with the seeds that were, that were planted there. I hope uh, they grew. I hope the, the, the Lord's uh, uh, reached him. But, but I, I say that just to remind us of this, that without faith it's impossible to please God. That is, it is a necessary prerequisite to, to please God uh, that we have faith. That we believe that He exists and He rewards those who seek Him. That He is faithful to His promises. Abraham's a great man, but his greatness is mainly, lies mainly in his belief in the greatness of God. Abraham's a great man, but his greatness lies primarily in his belief in the greatness of God. 
he trusts God. He takes him at his promises. Genesis 17.7 gives us another insight into the life of Abraham. Seventeen seven, God says this to Abraham, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. Now, now that that is an interesting promise there, to be God to you and your offspring after you. One of the things we talked about being broken in the fall is man's relationship with God. That he's no longer functioning by default in a right relationship with God. We see God here bridging the gap, pursuing His people. Saying, I'm going to take it upon myself to be God to you, as well as those who follow you. God promises a right relationship with Abraham and his descendants. So we see Abraham, through God's grace, receives a promise to be the head of a great people and is promised a place for those people to live. We see in Abraham's response that he places his faith in God and God, as a, in response to... Or, uh, due to Abraham's faith, treats him as righteous. Abraham's not righteous, but he says, hey, this faith that you have, I'm going to treat it as though it is righteousness. And then enters into a relationship with him. God also promises to bless the world through Abraham. We saw that in Genesis 12, 2 through 3. It shows up in a couple other places. They're both end in 18. So if you're trying to think where those promises to bless the world, it's in 12, 2 through 3. And then 18, 18, which tells us this. Genesis 18, 18 says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great nation and mighty nation, a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Okay, all, that's pretty bold. All the nations will be blessed in him. In, in 12, 2 through 3, it said all the families of the earth would be blessed in him. 22, 18 says this. And your offspring, uh, I probably need to back up. Uh, to 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the stand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again, when you hear offspring, think seed. And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There is this promise to Abraham that through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. So in a way, we see an initial narrowing that is the promise to overcome evil that has come to the seed, uh, that's going to come through the seed of the woman. Uh, God says to Abraham, through you, I am going to bring a blessing that is going to go out to all nations. So it's an area, the, the family through which it can come, the line through which it can come at this point is narrowed to Abraham's offspring. And then when that blessing comes, it's going to branch out into all the nations 
of the world. Um, by the way, we, we see uh, some incredible faith in the life of Abraham, don't we? One of the things I think of is um, growing up, we lived in, in Germany for a brief period of time, and uh, there's an, an art gallery uh, in the city we live by in Munich, and it's called the Alte Pedagtoff, which means the old picture house. Uh, in in that gallery, one of my dad's favorite paintings was, and he'd, he'd bring us to see it, and it's a Rembrandt painting. And it's a painting of the sacrifice of Isaac. And th- th- there's some things that uh, uh, painters can't get right. You know, the angel looks kind of cheesy and, and things like that. You, you, you can't quite get the glory or the awe of the angel. But but it, other than that, it's a it's an incredible picture. In it, you, you have the, the wood of the altar laid out. You have Isaac laying back, chest exposed. You have Abraham holding him his face back and the knife up. You have the, the angel coming to stay his hand. And, and in, the, in the side, in the darkness of the picture, you have a ram caught in a thicket. By the way, the, uh, one of the things uh, that, that we actually learn in Abraham's obedience uh, was that he really trusted God. This faith that he had uh, was not a hypothetical thing. He, he offers him Isaac. And, and by the way, think about what Abraham went through to get Isaac. There are all the years of infertility. Uh, they go through the mistake of trying to provide a, an offspring through him, for him through Hagar. God says, no, that's not going to be the child through whom the promise comes. Then finally, Sarah gets pregnant. They have Isaac. And the Lord God says, take your son, the, your only son, the son whom you love. I want you to bring him up on a mountain and sacrifice him to me. Abraham says, Okay. And he still believed God's promise that he was going to provide a a, a great offspring, land to him, and that he was going to provide it through Isaac. How how do we know that? How how do we have confidence in that? One place we have confidence in it is from Hebrews 11, uh, 17 through 19. I wanted to make make you all read even more. We didn't even get to uh, 17 through 19. But Hebrews 11, 17 through 19 gives us insight into how Abraham could be sacrificing his son, yet at the same time confident that God would accomplish his promises through Isaac, that he had made for his offspring through Isaac. Hebrews 11, 17 through 18. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, do you hear that? They're saying the reason why Abraham was willing to offer Isaac is because he believed that God was able to resurrect him from the dead. Having never seen that. 
having no experience of resurrection. We live after the resurrection of Christ. It's a little easier for us to have faith in such a thing. Now, I want also to point out to you that the uh, Genesis account confirms this. The author of Hebrews didn't just make this up. We have it in the account. It says in Genesis uh, 22, after he uh, gathers early in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you. He's fully intent on sacrificing Isaac. And he says, we're going to come back. Abraham, despite his faults, is a giant of faith. He trusts God even to bring back his son to life. He has faith in God's gracious promises to him. One of the last things that uh, we'll address is that the faithfulness of Abraham confers a blessing to others. By the way, in, in the in the offering up of Isaac, we have a picture of Christ. Uh, Abraham was willing to offer his son in obedience to God as an offering. God did offer his son as an offering for us. God spared Abraham's son Isaac. He did not spare his own son for you and for me. In Genesis 26, I told you we, had, we, we were going to be all over the place today. Genesis 26, verses 1 through 5. We see that the faithfulness of Abraham confers a blessing to others. In Genesis 26, 1 through 5. Now there was famine in the land. This is, by the way, um, as uh, a, a God's promise to Isaac after Abraham's death. So Abraham's dead. This is God talking to Isaac. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and I will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, now here's where it gets interesting, five. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. One of the things we see here is that the faithfulness of Abraham, the obedience of Abraham, confers a blessing to others. God says to Isaac, hey, I'm going to bless you. Why? Because Abraham was faithful. In this, we see, we see a forerunner of what's going to happen in Christ. Christ was faithful, and we are blessed because of it. Christ was righteous, and therefore we are treated as righteous. Christ earns salvation, and we receive it as a gift for him. In Abraham, we have a principle that because of the faithfulness of one, others can be blessed. Uh, We don't have time to get into Galatians 3, which tells us that Abraham is the father of all who are faithful. 
And that if you're in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise that are made for Abraham. We don't have uh, time to talk about the fact that Abraham is the father of nations. Uh, He's the father of the Jewish nations, but he's also the father of the Ishmaelites. He's also the the father of Esau and and his descendants, or or the grandfather, technically. He's the father of these other Gentile nations. Abraham is a father of both Jews and Gentiles. Later on, when the Christ comes, what does he do? He brings a blessing to both Jew and Gentile. We see in Abraham a forerunner of Christ. We see the the means by which we can be blessed in Christ is faith. We have the promises that God is going to do something about the wrecked condition of mankind, clarified and focused. As we continue on, we're going to see how through the Scriptures and the promises of Scriptures, we get a clearer and clearer picture of Christ before He even comes. With that, we're going to transition into a time of music, and then we will uh, be dismissed.